Do you remember being lovesick? <laughs> Your first crush? The time you didn't want to stop at second base or even third base? George remembers. <laughs> that pull that seemed to be both within and beyond ourselves to keep going. That's desire. I remember my first time. I was attending a three-week-long drama camp. I was 14 and she was 13. Yes. <laughs> we knew each other through UIL events and we had even competed against each other a couple of times. You see, we went to competing junior high schools. She was incredibly cute. Curly-headed blonde with blue eyes and big blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were assigned to the same room. I believe we both felt that chemistry happen immediately. But neither one of us was sure about the interest of the other. We innuendoed and flirted for that first week as we walked together from the dorm to the theater. That first weekend, we were brave enough to share our truths about our sexuality to each other. We both feared that we would be rejected by the other. That was a grace moment. When we both were able to speak our truth and be our authentic selves. By the end of the second week, there were stolen kisses in between class. And deep, long kisses in the evening. You know, the kind that make your lips all puffy? <laughs> that happened back in the room. During the final week, each night, we pushed our beds together and cuddled as we ran lines with each other and eventually fell asleep in each other's arms. This was new to both of us. All of these new, fangled, jumbled up kind of feelings that were happening. Our desire to know each other intimately grew stronger and stronger each day. Whenever we were alone in my head, I kept asking, should we or shouldn't we, should we or shouldn't we? Well. Finally, the final night came. And after our two plays were over and our families had left and we, um, the party for the campers had ended and we went back to the dorm, we knew that it was going to be our last night together. Or at least that's what we thought. We kissed and we held each other and neither of us wanted to stop. Desire is powerful. But is it necessarily evil or sinful? No, it isn't. It can be a wonderful and holy thing. It can even be an opportunity for grace. Sebastian Moore, a 20th century Benedictine monk and theologian says, we misunderstand desire because we equate it with egoism or lust, which is valuing desire only in reference to our own personal interest. Moore contends 
desire isn't egotism. Rather than the manifestation of selfishness and sin, desire is love trying to happen. Desire is about us figuring out who we are and how we can be in relationship with others. Moore says, the desire for bodily pleasure can be healthy and holy. He says, the, the desire for an exploration of what feels good, of pleasure, is simply part of falling in love. It's love trying to happen. I know in that first rush of desire, I was learning about myself, about how to be in a relationship with someone, body, soul, together, finally. Desire is different from releasing tension because, well, honestly, we can take care of that on our own. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Renee is going, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> but what desire for another <laughs> teaches us is trust. How to risk showing and sharing our authentic selves. We learn to give and to receive care and attention. We learn to connect. We learn to allow another to see our true selves. And we are being offered the opportunity to see another fully. I believe we learn to offer and receive grace in those moments. Yet many of us grew up in communities of faith that taught us that pursuing any sort of desire short of God was sinful. We would hear that there is a dualism within us, a war within between flesh and spirit. We were taught that our spiritual nature was good, but our bodies, our flesh, was sinful. That we were born when we were born, we were born into sin-filled bodies. I propose that if God became incarnate, fully human, and fully divine, and to the body known as Jesus, the, the very key profession of our faith, then our bodies can only be holy and sacred, not sinful. Jesus embodied God's grace being poured out into the world. And through Jesus, God was seen and known. Jesus didn't come to live among humanity so that our lives could be lives afraid of our own bodies and the bodies of others. Scripture tells us that Jesus came that we may have life and to have it abundantly. Full, grace-filled lives, body and soul together. Bromley says, the grace of being seen and known of holy attentiveness to a partner is possible, I'd argue, in any just and loving action toward another. And it's part of what makes sexual encounters, or good ones anyway, so pleasurable. The kind of desire for a specific other is wrapped up in our very human need to be authentically ourselves 
and to be accepted as such. There's a grace then in sexual intimacy that's mutually pleasurable. There's grace in deeming someone worthy enough to see and know you. There's grace in being seen by someone in a new way. And maybe, just maybe, there is grace in coming to see ourselves in a new way. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, suggests that this kind of grace, the body's grace, is critical in helping us to understand the character and nature of the triune God. He writes, grace for the Christian believer is a transformation that depends in large part on knowing yourself to be seen in a certain way, as significant, as wanted. The whole story of creation, incarnation, and our incorporation into the fellowship of Christ's body tells us that God desires us as if we were God's self as if we were the unconditional response to God's giving that God's self makes in the life of the Trinity. We are created so that we can be caught up in this, so that we may grow in the wholehearted love of God by learning that God loves us as God. God desires us. Receive that. God desires us. God sees us as significant and we are wanted by God. That pull that is both within and beyond ourselves. God. A moment of grace. Desire is more, though, than sexual attraction. It is any just and loving action that we offer another. We desire to know and be known without sexual interests. We desire relationships, which answers the question about why it's important for us to offer a series like When We Touch. We, as a community of faith, as a city, as a, a country, as a world, are losing the ability to see and be seen by others. When LGBTQIA kids attempt to kill themselves five times the rate of heterosexual kids, when gay men in Chechnya and Russia are rounded up and are being murdered, when the UK votes to leave the European Union when North Korea is threatening South Korea and Japan with nuclear destruction, when it's only a year out from the Pulse massacre, when Russia is meddling around in the elections of the U.S. and France and Germany, when we pull out of the Paris Accord, and consider leaving NATO when 23 million of our fellow Americans may lose their health care in a country that was founded by immigrants, when we begin to tear immigrant families apart, 
when SB4 makes it illegal to drive while being brown, and when SB6, which threatens the health and the safety of our transgendered siblings, is alive and well in a special session of the Texas legislature. As a people of faith, we must pause to speak about having a desire to see and be seen to know each other, to touch, to speak about connecting to one another, to speak about love, to speak about grace. When hate crimes against Jews, against LGBTQIA folks, against Muslims, against people of color, have risen 20% in a year. We must pause and talk about touching and knowing each other and recognizing that we are all the image and the likeness of God. When churches post banners that say, no refugees welcome, when we are so polarized that we no longer can even offer civil conversations with each other, we have to press pause. Catch our breath and have a conversation about what it means to know and be known by our love. What it means to offer grace. We all desire to connect. We all desire to touch. We all desire intimacy. We all desire to love and to be loved in return. When we don't touch, when we practice egotism and lust instead of desire and mutuality, we miss the opportunity to offer grace to each other. Right now, I ask you to connect with one person sitting near you. Turn to someone and say, hello, my name is, looking them in the eye and say, I see you. Hello, Troy. I, I see <laughs> Hello, Edwin. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> Last night, Cassandra and I went to see something rotten, and <laughs> it was good. And during intermission, she went to the lobby, and I was sitting there on my phone, and a docent came up to me, and she stood behind me, and she said, look at all of the phones. People sitting next to each other at an event they paid to go to. Not connecting, not seeing, not knowing the people they came with. 
I ask you each day this week for 10 minutes a day, disconnect from technology. Desire to have a conversation with somebody. Don't bring your phone to the table. Offer someone the opportunity to feel significant, to experience a presence beyond themselves in you. Offer them a moment of grace. Can you do that? Amen. to your neighbor. 